from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Because you can always begin to know more about a poem, but the poem first has to arrest you in some kind of way. That there is some emotional shift or turn or detour or moment of surprise that a poetic speaker is having on the page and that we are witness to that and that we should be listening for it. It's, it's really quite exciting in that poem. I'm Sarah Fenske. Maybe your pandemic project involved baking sourdough bread or cleaning out the garage. Abram Van Engen and Joanne Diaz's pandemic project was no less than helping America fall in love again with poetry. The two grad school friends, now both English professors, are doing that with a podcast. It's called Poetry for All, and each episode presents a single poem with analysis and enthusiasm. Hello, I'm Joanne Diaz. And I'm Abram Benningen. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we will be discussing what is probably one of the most famous of all American poems, Robert Hayden's Those Winter Sundays. That is an amazing poem. Yes. <laughs> I love this poem. <laughs> that's, that's the end of the episode. That's it. We don't We're really... done. <laughs> <laughs> Should we read it again now? That's great. I know, I know. The poem really, it, it's, uh, it's incredible. And that is from the podcast Poetry for All, which is getting ready to launch its third season. And here to tell us more about it are, our two, are its two co-hosts. Abram Van Engen is an English professor at Washington University. Abram, welcome back. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And we're also joined today by Joanne Diaz. She's an English professor at Illinois Wesleyan University. Joanne, welcome. Thank you so much. So, Joanne, let's start with you. What led the two of you to decide, let's do a podcast together about poetry? This was an idea that Abram had, oh, maybe, oh, this was a while ago. It was just before the pandemic. We were talking casually about doing something like this, and uh, I thought it was a great idea. And then the pandemic happened, as you say, and um, what we quickly realized was that we were teaching all of our classes on uh, Zoom. Everything was virtual, and we were spending a lot of time looking at screens. We were also spending a lot of time thinking about how to recalibrate our classrooms and our assignments and our activities in a way that would be meaningful to students in a very difficult time. And so that was something that in part informed the way that we thought about the format for the podcast. So each episode is very brief, usually 15 to 20 minutes, just long enough so that if you wanted to assign one of these for a homework assignment, you could. But even if you're not in a classroom, we're hoping that if you're just walking the dog or you're on your morning commute or you just need a break from, you know, the screen, you could listen to one of our podcasts and maybe have an encounter with a poem in a way that you wouldn't have anticipated otherwise. Hmm. So, Abram, this is titled Poetry for All. And I have to question that very title. Hmm. Is poetry (laughs) really for all, for everyone in the year 2021? It is? Oh, totally. I, you know, the thing about poetry that I love, so, so the one thing is the, the classroom setting, but when you're out of the classroom, there is no test. 
And so, you know, the thing about poetry is that there are a thousand, thousand different kinds of poems and a thousand, thousand different kinds of poems. If you don't like a poem and you're out of school and you don't have a test on it, move on. Find another poem <laughs> because there's just so much poetry out there and you're bound to come across the poetry that moves you, that reaches you, that touches you, that enables you to think about the world in a slightly different way. And part of what we're doing in this podcast is just kind of reintroducing people to poetry to, to show them that it is not a kind of hidden lockbox of meaning that only the professor has the key to, or a puzzle that only professors can solve, um, that poems really do reach us on all different kinds of levels. And there's always more to understand about a poem, but even on the surface level, they can just be incredibly moving and enriching. So you're obviously coming from this as an enthusiast. I'm wondering for you, Abram, when you first got into poetry. That's a good question. So uh, I remember in middle school writing reams and reams of poetry that I thought in middle school was very good. And uh, <laughs> I wonder how this story I, ends. <laughs> I kept that and I looked at it later and I thought, please bury that somewhere deep. Um, but but I've, I've loved poetry from an early age. And so it is true that I, I come with a bias. Uh, but I do think that, so I have taught poetry to groups of people who haven't read poems in 20 years and, and never would because they think of it as you know, this difficult art form that, that is just intimidating. And then we read really simple poems and we get into them, or, or even difficult poems that just sound amazing, and they start to see that, that poetry really is for everyone, that, that, that poems are there for us to meet uh, and to have an experience through them and with them. Joanne, I'm curious about your story. Were you also an enthusiast back in middle school? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. And I, I do, when I look back on my um, experiences with poetry, I know that I was interested in it and I wanted it to be a part of my life. I was exposed to poems that were largely written by dead people <laughs> through, uh, through my K through 12 experience. I mean, they were great poems, but I don't think I even realized that poem, poets were alive until I got to college. And I really um, encountered poetry in the first serious way in a creative writing workshop. So I kind of came at the study of poetry through the writing of it. And so the first contemporary poets that I ever read were in a, in a poetry workshop with Marie Howe, who is a wonderful contemporary poet in her own right. And we were reading unrhymed verse and we were going to poetry readings. And at the time, this was the early 90s, my first uh, poetry readings were uh, Philip Levine, and Adrienne Rich uh, at Harvard University. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is what's happening. I, it got me really excited. Uh, so that was the beginning of my serious engagement with it. Hmm. Well, at the very beginning of this conversation, we heard an excerpt from your podcast episode about Robert Hayden's Those Winter Sundays. And as you say, Joanne, this is maybe one of the most famous of all American poems. I'm going to play for everybody here that poem itself. This is as Abram reads it on your podcast. Those Winter Sundays. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress 
fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know, what did I know, of love's austere and lonely offices? And that is Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden, read by Abram Van Engen on the podcast Poetry for All, which he co-hosts with Joanne Diaz. They're both my guests today. And I want to play for everyone now a short excerpt. This is from the podcast Poetry for All. This is from your discussion of the poem on the podcast. And the one other thread that just structurally uh, holds this poem together is to think about how the one word cold is the only word repeated in each of the three stanzas. So in the beginning, in the first stanzas, we're, we're, we're in the blue-black cold. In the second, we hear the cold splintering. And in the third, the father has driven out the cold. And so there's, a, there, there's actually a narrative element to what's happening to that coldness throughout this poem. And it's the only word that's repeated from stanza to stanza. The interesting thing about the repetition, though, is that the father might have been able to successfully drive out the climate-related cold, but he wasn't successful at driving out the coldness in the relationships, right? I mean, part of the reason that this is such a belated utterance of gratitude is because there are chronic angers in that house. That's one of the most famous ways of (laughs) that Jesus, chronic angers. I remember reading that decades ago and thinking, wow, that Mm -hmm. is, I know exactly what that is. That is so powerful and so familiar. And that is from the podcast Poetry for All. Um, We heard Joanne Diaz and Abram Van Engen talking about this poem, Those Winter Sundays. Um, Joanne, I can hear your enthusiasm for this poem as you talk about it. Is this, is it fair to say this is a particular favorite? Oh, yes, absolutely. As, as I said earlier, this was one of the first poems by a modern American poet that I had ever read. And I remember it felt as clear as a bell to me, right? Mm. The, and Robert Hayden's voice in general, I feel that way about him. He's incredibly sophisticated. His, his, all of his poetry is so nuanced and complex. But uh, that poem, the first time you hear it or see it on the page, it has such a striking effect. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote that final question of the poem that's unanswerable, but is also this moment of insight and realization. And I think the reason it's so powerful is because it feels dramatic. And I think too often, when we read a poem on the screen or on the page, we forget that it is a dramatic utterance, you know? That there is some emotional shift or turn, or detour, or moment of surprise that a poetic speaker is having on the page, and that we are witness to that, and that we should be listening for it. It's, it's really quite exciting in that poem. Abram, has talking to Joanne about this poem, and, and doing these podcast episodes in general, did this give you new appreciation for a type of poetry that my understanding is, this isn't necessarily your favorite type of poetry? <laughs> well, I do love this poem, but it's true that we, we come at poetry as uh, slightly different. I have learned so much from Joanne. She is just, um, she, she's the poetry, true poetry expert, and has her own books of poetry as well. But um, it's true. I, I tend to love the older stuff. I'm an early Americanist. I love the more formal stuff. Um, 
and 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 Joanne really has has taken me into the 20th century and showed me the the sort of beauties of the different movements and different ways of doing po poetry that have emerged over the last hundred years. When when really what I knew most uh, was the stuff from 200 and 300 years ago. And so actually it, it works out pretty well on the podcast because I'm always asking Joanne to come back with me. <laughs> and she's always saying, no, 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 we, we, this, let's do something up here. Uh, you know, something from the last 10 years. <laughs> and, and Joanne, does this work, uh, you know, Abram spoke about how he has new appreciation for these more modern poems. Have you cultivated more appreciation for the older, more formal poetry? Joanne, do I get you to love Hopkins? Come on, tell me. Uh, tell me. Uh, yes, we are better friends now. <laughs> Hopkins and I are, are cordial now. Uh, so, no, absolutely. There have been several instances of this where, uh, whether it's an early American poem by Phyllis Wheatley or Anne Bradstreet, or maybe a poem from the 19th century written by Gerard Manley Hopkins, uh, these are poems that I have read before, and I liked them, but I had never read them closely. And I think this goes back to Abrams' point that he made earlier, where, you know, if you're not in school and you're not being tested on a poem, if you don't love a poem, you can just go on to the next poem. I do that all the time. There are so many poems that when I read them a first time or even a second time, I don't always immediately access the emotional uh, levels of the poem. And that's where I really believe in this podcast, uh, that conversation about poems can energize them and can surprise readers in interesting ways. I know that I have been regularly surprised by some of the insights that Abram has had about these poems, and I, I enjoyed that a lot. So we want to expand this conversation beyond the two of you. We also asked our listeners, what's a poem that they return to again and again? And we heard from some on social media. We also got some voicemails. I'm going to play one of those voicemails now. This is from Nathaniel. He says his favorite is Antigonish. It's an 1899 poem by the American educator and poet William Hughes Mearns. It's also known as The Little Man Who Wasn't There. It's about a man who was on the stairs but who wasn't there. It said, yesterday upon the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. When I came home last night at three, the man was waiting there for me. But when I looked all around the hall, I couldn't see him there at all. And it goes on. It's a very haunting poem. And that is from Nathaniel. Speaking of haunting poems, we also heard from our listener, Ralph. I believe the most famous romantic poem ever written was by Edgar Allan Poe. It was his last poem where he he lost his true love uh, and um, he, he died before he, it was published, but considered one of the best of his his day and maybe of the present. And that is Ralph paying homage to Annabelle Lee. That's the last complete poem composed by Edgar Allan Poe. And Annabelle Lee is such a classic. It's one of those poems that I think hooks you even when you're in middle school. You, you can see the greatness in this. Abram, are you also trying to um, help people look at, at old classics like that to see them through new eyes? Yeah, I mean, so... Um you know, Annabelle Lee works that way because the music of the poem just draws you into it, and and that's that's part of the way. When I when I introduce poetry to folks who, who again haven't read it in, in a long time, I often start with Gerard Manley Hopkins in part because 
his sonnets are so hard to get the, the the sense of them and but they sound amazing so if you if you hear just the just the first four lines of this sonnet for example as kingfishers catch fire dragonflies draw flame as tumbled over rim and roundy wells stones ring like each tucked string tells each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name and if you read those four lines you think i said what now uh, <laughs> and at the same at the same time you think but what does that say? Because that sounds kind of amazing. And, and he goes on from there to, to explain exactly what he's doing there. But, um, but I often start with Hopkins for that reason to say, you know, whatever the poem does that causes you to sit up just a little bit, to pause just a little bit, to take a break for just a little bit, to want to know more, that's, that's a poem that has achieved its end. Because you can always begin to know more about a poem, but the poem first has to arrest you in some kind of way. Mm. So in another great poem that I feel like it had a little bit of a, a social media resurgence during this pandemic um, is the famous poem, This Is Just to Say, by William Carlos Williams. This is very different than Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Um, Joanne, I, I've always been curious about this poem because I love this poem. I don't know why I love this poem. I don't know why this poem works. Can you give us the short version of that very complicated question? Yeah. Would I, could, may I read the poem? That would be so terrific. Could, yeah. It's so short, as you say. So this is by William Carlos Williams. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious, so sweet, and so cold. That's it, right? That, that's yeah. it. Now, so I have taught this poem many times in sort of my intro to literary studies class. And when I teach the, the poem, I sort of contextualize it and I remind students that William Carlos Williams was trying to create poetry in a distinct American idiom. And he was really interested in his the materials around him, right? And so this feels like just a note that you might scrawl on a little piece of paper as you're leaving the house after you've eaten the plums and it infuriates my students because they think there's no art here there's no artifice there's no craft I mean this just feels like a a found note how can this be a poem but the longer you spend time and of course that's part of why people love to parody the poem mm-hmm. and people are always parodying this poem on Twitter um, people have reworked it so that it you can uh, read it to the tune of Mr. Brightside by the Killers or <laughs> I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys or <laughs> Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. 5 you know a little bit of cold plums in my life you know it, it goes like <laughs> and it, but Twitter is just a, a walk in various parodies of this poem, but why? Part of it is, uh, it feels like a an apology, right? Because the poetic speaker has said, oh, I'm so sorry I ate the plums that you were probably saving for breakfast. But then it's a sorry, not sorry, mm-hmm. right? Because, forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. <laughs> but also, the, and as Abram has said already, the longer you spend with a simple, a seemingly simple little poem like this, the more you notice how brilliant it is because little things like that icebox, when I ask my students what is an icebox, they don't really know and they don't remember that an icebox required an iceman to bring a giant heavy block of ice into a person's icebox every day in the summer and that these plums are 
perishable and fragile and and precious and seasonal and that reading the poem in that context can be very powerful but it also is probably why people love to play with it because during a pandemic for example if going to the grocery store especially in those early months was really fraught you better hang on to those plums right <laughs> so so there's there's so much to tease out here from just as you say what seems like a tossed off note there's so much to talk about you've now had two seasons of this podcast you're working on the third um abram in our final minute here i'm just curious to hear a little bit about the reaction you got is is poetry resonating with people in this moment yeah, I mean, we've had um, an amazing number of, of listeners, people we didn't, uh, we, we just were doing this to help teachers out and to have some fun and to try to put something out into the world that we love. And we started getting emails from all across the country. We, got, we have listeners in, in several different countries. I mean, it's just crazy when this takes off. And I think poetry is really in a, in a um, rising right now, rapidly. I mean, there are so many more readers and writers of poetry than there ever used to be. Um, and it's a, and when Amanda Gorman did her inauguration, um, you know, people realized that, that poetry is something that resonates on uh, very special occasions, but also on very ordinary occasions. And people find themselves returning to poetry even when they thought they didn't like it. They, they look for it, even though they thought maybe that wasn't for them. Uh, and, and I think like Amanda Gorman's performance was one of those moments where everyone realized poetry is something we need in our lives. Hmm. It's something we need. And as you guys say, it is for all. So I want to encourage people, check out this podcast. Maybe it will help you find the poem that really speaks to your soul. Abram Van Engen, uh, English professor at Washington University. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And Joanne Diaz, uh, English professor at Illinois Wesleyan University. Thank you. Thank you. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.